0: Excellent. Hey, I'm Michael. For those who don't know me, great to be with you this morning. And uh, I just really sense that God is saying to us prophetically today that unity in this season is really important. And we can't all be in the same room at the, at the moment for a variety of reasons. Some are online, uh, some are at the chapel gathering. But I just really feel the Holy Spirit saying, make sure we do this together. This season too will pass. Let us walk together in unity there are people this morning and, and you have them on their heart and they're not here for whatever reason, give them a call. Let's be united in what God's called us to do. Amen? Yeah. Fantastic. We're going to be talking this morning, I'm not sure that first slide is up, it is, so that's, that's all good. haven't even switched the clicker on, it's already there, so we're off to a good start. We're going to be talking this morning about how to love your neighbour. And there's a, a Māori proverb, I asked Pastor Simon help with the pronunciation of this, so my apologies if I've got it wrong, but I'll do my best, and it simply says kamua kamudi, which means you have to look backwards before you go forwards, and I want us to think about that this morning. Um, I used to be an orchardist in my former life, for those who know a little bit about my former life, and one of the things I loved to do on the orchard was to plough. You know, as the furrows turn over and as the seagulls come in and as they kind of, you know, eat everything that's come to the surface, warming up your hands on the exhaust of the tractor, diesel f- fumes in the nostril. I know it's not everyone that's a cup of tea, but it worked for me all right. But one of the things you learn when you're ploughing is to make sure that you are ploughing straight, you had to look behind you to see what was happening to the furrows that were turning. No GPS guys in that day. Can you, can you imagine what it was like without GPS? Did you ever know a day when there wasn't GPS? Who remembers a day when there wasn't GPS? No one in the first two rows. You do. Awesome. Oh, yes. A younger man there remembers. And so you had to look backward to be able to go forward. Pastor Sheridan's coined a phrase recently, and he's called it back to the future. And what we mean by that is when we go back to to the early church in the first two or three centuries, what can we learn from the church that principle that we can take with us today that really helped the church in the first two or three centuries to radically change their communities and to exponentially grow in a way that affects us today. And uh, I think as we think about that, Jesus told them and he gave them these two commandments. The first commandment is the greatest commandment in Matthew chapter 22, and that's to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind. And the second one was to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And that's what we're going to focus on. And the second commandment that Jesus gave, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, was to make disciples of all nations. That word nations literally means all people groups. And so to have a look at what does it mean for me to love my neighbor, we're going to go to a story in Luke chapter 10. Now many of you may have heard this story before, some of you may not have heard this story before, but I really believe there are some new insights for us. So when I tell you what it is, don't switch off on me, okay? Just sort of hang in there, because it'll all come together for good, I promise. So we're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 10, and uh, verses 35 to 37, and we're going to look at what's known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. So just to give a bit of context here. One day, an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? He was a bit of a smart aleck. Do you have those in your classes at school? I used to. You still have those? Oh, okay. So some things haven't changed then. You know, he was asking one of those tricky questions of the teacher, trying to catch the teacher out. But Jesus was on to him, and Jesus said, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength and all of your mind, and you must love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? You see, this guy thought that when Jesus said he was talking about his neighbor, was people like himself. He was a Jew, and so his understanding of who was my neighbor were fellow Jews, That's what the rabbi is talking about. He's talking about me loving other fellow Jews. And then Jesus told this story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Verse 30. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho when he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. And when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, a Levite, walked over and looked at him lying there, but also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan, despised, that's a funny word, isn't it? Someone that no one really liked. A despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins. These two silver coins were like a day's wages, so I don't know how much you get for a day's wages these days. So whatever that is, how much do you guys get for a day's wages? Maybe five bucks. Ten bucks? Five bucks a week? Oh, man oh, I'm not going back to being your age again, that's not enough. So he paid two silver coins, saying, take care of this man, if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm there. Now which of these three would you say was a neighbour to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. You know, the church has grown exponentially as it's taken on board that theme of what does it mean to love our neighbour as we love ourselves. In this next slide, this is a picture of the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Gillian and I had the privilege of being in Jerusalem in 2019 when you could still travel overseas. Does anyone remember those days? (laughs) Maybe they're coming again in 2022. We will see. Jerusalem, 700 metres above sea level. Jericho 400 metres below sea level. Anyone do the quick maths? How much is that? From 700 above to 400 below? Awesome. Man, you guys are bright. I'd give you a chocolate if I had the chocolate in my possession. 1100 metres um, is the fallen gradient over 32 kilometres. In the um, second and third century, this road was called the Bloody Way. And I'm not swearing in church, that's what it was called. It doesn't give you permission to use that at home, by the way. But it was called The Bloody Way, and the reason for that was because so many people lost their lives on this section of road. Even in the 1930s, there were still warnings advising people not to travel on this road at night because of the danger of this piece of road. The Jewish man was taking a risk to be traveling on this road unaccompanied. When people normally traveled on this road, they would travel as a convoy. Uh, There would be a group of people who would travel together to ensure their safety. But this man, for whatever reason, had chosen not to do that. A priest hurries past the Jewish man who's lying, bleeding on the road. He was heading to the temple. And uh, we read in Numbers chapter 19 that one of the requirements of a priest going to serve in the temple was that if you touched a dead body, you had to be cleansed and you couldn't minister in the temple for seven days. And so for this priest, the cost of not being able to minister in the temple or to help this person, this Jewish man, this um, Jewish man lying on the road, was too great. And so he to, chose to pass by on the other side. And so a Levite, a temple assistant, he comes and has a look, a little bit better than the priest, he goes over and has a look at the man, but then chooses to pass by as well. And the reason probably for that was that one of the things the bandits used to do was they used to get one of their people to lie down and pretend to be injured. And so if you were a traveler and you were helping um, Andy here, he's lying, bleeding, and so I'm going there to help him, and then suddenly the rest of the bandits jump out and they pounce on the person ...and beat them up and rob them. So maybe the the temple assistant was kind of... ...oh no, I'm not taking that risk. So he chose to walk by. And then a despised Samaritan. You know, Samaritans and Jews didn't get on. In fact, the the conflict between Israel and Palestine... ...they say goes right back to the conflict... ...between Jews and Samaritans... um, ...that we have in, in Israel and Palestine to this very day. And so a despised Samaritan comes... And he inspects the person, this Jewish man. They would have had nothing in common. They were separated in terms of the hostility between them. But he cares for this man. He bandages his wounds. He puts him on his donkey. He takes him to, a like a I guess, a motel or something like that and gives the innkeeper a couple of days' wages and says, if he needs anything else, please give it to him. If you have to spend extra, I'll be back and I'll cover the bill. An amazing story. So who is our neighbor? You know, the, when the, this religious leader asked this question, he believed that his neighbor was just people like himself. A Jewish person asking the question said, well, just other Jews, they're my neighbors. But Jesus had a radically different interpretation. The first thought I want to leave you with this morning is that when we think about who is our neighbor, is we must help people, even when they're a victim of their own circumstances. You know, you don't actually have to agree with what people are doing, but you do have to love them. There's a big difference, isn't there? You know, I could have said, oh, this Jewish, he's an idiot, traveling on this road in the middle of the day on his own. He got what he deserved. You know, you see people making decisions. Maybe you can think of people who've made decisions. You say, well, that's a dumb decision. It might be a dumb decision. You don't have to rescue them from that decision, but you do have to love them. Because they're created in God's image. And so a neighbor is anyone that God brings across our path. We need to love people. We need to understand they're created in God's image. We need to make sure they've got food and clothing and a safe place to live for them and their family. And there's a sense of purpose in their lives. Because that's what it is to be a human being. And that's what Jesus was wanting to make sure they understood in this parable. Secondly, as we're thinking about who is my neighbor, every person regardless of gender, race, how much money they've got in the bank, that's a fancy way of saying socioeconomic background, because they're worthy of God's love to be revealed through you and me. Our love for our neighbours must be as wide as God's love. We have to learn to differentiate between people's actions and people's value. We had to learn this lesson with our daughter. Now, I probably shouldn't tell you. Um, about our daughter, so I won't tell you all of the antics that she got up to, except I am waiting for when she has children of her own. And she, yes, I say, Well, I remember, yes, that will be interesting. But um, so all of those, you know, sorts of things, I've lost my train of thought there, got so sort of carried away. Yeah, we often said to our daughter, We don't love, maybe your parents have said this to you, we don't love your behavior right now, but we do love you. There's a big difference. You know, people that God brings into our world, some of those neighbors, we don't love their behavior right now, but we love them because they're created in God's image. Jesus gave us the ultimate example as he lay dying on the cross, or as he hung dying on the cross. It'd be hard to lay dying on the cross, wouldn't it? Luke chapter 22, we find this little interchange that goes on. One of the criminals hanging beside Jesus, Jesus is hanging on the cross. And one of the criminals said, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself, and us too, while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God, even when you're sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when I come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you'll be with me in paradise. See, Jesus gave us that example that he, he didn't absolve the man, you know, of all of the wrong things that he had done. He was, he was dying a, a death he deserved. But Jesus loved him enough to offer him life and life in all of its fullness when he asked for forgiveness. And the third thought that I wanted us to think about this morning as we think about who is my neighbor, it's people who need our compassion more than our sympathy. You see, the priest, you know, he might have had compassion, but he didn't have sympathy. Now, one of the things we miss in the the story is the priest and the temple assistant, they weren't bad people. It's, It's easy for us, isn't it, from our Western mindset in 2021 to think, oh, these were just terrible people. No, these were very good people. They were upstanding people in the community. And they would have been seen that way. And that's part of what Jesus was saying, these were upright people, these weren't bad people, but their compassion, they might have had compassion, but it didn't deliver actions in terms of their actual sympathy. We don't, when we don't have compassion for our neighbours, the people that God's bringing into our lives, biological and church family, friends, people who live around us, workmates, people don't see God's love in action through us. Friends, we need to have more than compassion for our neighbors, we need to have a sympathy for our neighbors that moves them to action. You know, one of the things that I thought we could do, and I'm not telling you what to do, but I believe the Holy Spirit will tell you what to do, I thought, well, maybe we could write a Christmas card this year, and maybe we could put it in our neighbor's letterbox and just say, hey, just thinking of you at Christmas— And just wanting you to know that we're praying for you in this coming year, that you would know God's blessing and God's provision for you as a family. We could do that and just put it in the, just sow a seed, just put it in the letterbox. And Holy Spirit will give you creative ideas. That's what Gillian and I are going to do. I haven't told Gillian. Can we do that? Oh, she said we can do that. That's good. It's not good, is it, if you're a husband and you say we're going to do it and you haven't talked to your spouse. That's not good, is it, Pam? No. Pam's shaking her head. Brett, remember that. That's not good. But, um, you know, Holy Spirit will give you ideas of things that you could do. The second part of what I wanted to talk about this morning is what prevents us from loving our neighbor. The first thing is when beliefs triumph over compassion. And we see that in the, in the hostility there was between the, the Jews and the Samaritans. But what does that look like for us today? You might have heard the expression, you can win an argument but you can lose the war. Have you heard that? Apparently I looked, googled that up. It has some historic background where that actually was kind of outworked. And uh, I remember Pastor Sheridan was um, talking to us and it was quite insightful. Pastor Sheridan is quite insightful. And um, he was sharing with us and saying, you know, when you're having an argument with someone, just because they stop talking doesn't mean that they agree with you. It might just be that they're sick of listening to your argument. (laughs) And they're just trying to find a way that will actually keep you quiet. And so just as we're thinking about this first point about, you know, what does it look like for us to love our neighbour? Our beliefs need to triumph over. Our beliefs, when we don't love our neighbour, it's because our beliefs triumph over our compassion. I thought these were four good thoughts about how you can end an argument or just not go there. And so hopefully they're on this next slide for you. Let me think about that. I don't know. Do you guys ever have arguments? But, but is yeah, some yes, some not so sure. Do you guys ever have arguments? A little bit sure on this side of the room? You know, that can be a good thing to say, isn't it? Well, let me think about that. You don't have to have an answer for everything. You're not Jesus. So it is okay to take time to think about it. Or you might be right. You know, when I'm having an argument with Gillian on occasion... You know, sometimes the things that she says, sometimes there's something in what she says that's right, and I can acknowledge that. I found that's a very good thing to do, and I'm speaking to her on her birthday. I won't tell you about the first argument that we ever had soon after we were married, and I nearly got a pot thrown at me. That's another story, but it is a good story. The other thing you can say is, I understand. You may not agree with the argument, but some people are having to make difficult decisions, and you can understand that this is a difficult decision for them. You're not saying you're agreeing with the decision, but saying, I understand that this is difficult for you. Or perhaps you could say, I'm sorry. You might have made a dumb decision, you're thinking to yourself, and you're reaping the consequences. Hey, but I am genuinely sorry. You don't say that out loud, by the way. That goes on inside your head. Um, but you can say, you know, I am sorry for what you're going through. There can be some sympathy there. And I think those are things that will actually help us in those kind of situations. So we're talking about what prevents us from loving our neighbor when our beliefs triumph over our compassion. I am always right. I learned married to Gillian that that was not uh, correct very quickly. And uh, if you're still happily married, I'm sure you've learned that lesson as well. The second thing I want to share this morning is when security becomes more important than service. When security becomes more important than service. You know, especially for the, for the, um, for the temple assistant, he went and looked at this Jewish man who was bleeding on the road, and he thought, oh, this might be a setup. Someone could pounce upon me And so his security at that time prevented him from actually helping the person who needed to be helped. I don't know about you, but I like to feel in control of my circumstances. Am I alone in this room? Does anyone else like to feel in control of their circumstances? No, there's just one or two of us. The rest, not telling the truth. Maybe. But sometimes to reach the loss, we have to step out of our comfort zone. You know, I've found as a Christian and online, I'm sure this is true for you as well, that it doesn't say, as followers of Jesus, that we have to be comfortable. In fact, I find a lot more that says being a follower of Jesus is often uncomfortable. And I don't like being uncomfortable. I don't know about you. I like to be comfortable. Jesus said this when he was asked in Luke chapter 5, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them and said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Sometimes I have to say to myself, Michael, you're not feeling comfortable right now. But that's all right. Just suck it up and be the light of Jesus in this situation. And often it's when we're most uncomfortable and we have to rely more on Jesus and less on ourselves that God uses us in those situations. Jesus was going to walk the same road that he talked about in the parable of the, of the Good Samaritan. Where did the road go from? Where did it go from? Anyone tell me? 700 metres above sea level was in Jerusalem. 400 metres below sea level was in Jericho. Right. And Jesus himself was going to travel this same road. It would not have been a comfortable journey for him. And one of the shocking things about this parable is that sometimes in life, God will use people that we think God could never use. For this Jewish man, and we miss this sometimes, for this Jewish man lying on the road, a Samaritan was the last person that he would think could ever have helped him. And friends, for you and me, and for those of us online, sometimes God will send us angels in disguise that we never thought would be God's instrument in our lives. I wonder now, who is the person you think who could be the the person who's least able to help you? I wonder what the Holy Spirit brings to mind. No, God could use that person. I want to tell you a little story. When we were um, leading the Activate Church in Christchurch, we had a young man in our church called Tim. Tim was a a lovely guy. He was um, in his early 30s. Um, he was a Down Syndrome young man and his birthday was on the 11th of July and mine was on the 1st. So in about April, Tim would start saying, Michael, it's my birthday on the 11th of July. I said, that's good, Tim, because it's mine on the 1st. Just remember, mine's first, yours follows. He'd ring me up sometimes two or three times a day. So normally just one phone call a day from Tim. We'd ration it to that. But one night he rang me up and he said, um, he said Michael, can I pray for you? I was just blown away that he even was thinking about me, let alone wanted to pray. And he prayed for me, and he prayed this prayer. Michael, healing Jesus, Holy Spirit, amen. And it was like God came into the room. It's the most profound prayer I've ever had prayed over my life. I sensed the tangible presence of God in the room as he prayed. The most unlikely person... But God used them. And friends, if you remember nothing else, remember that, that God will use the most unlikely people to work those miracles in our lives. God used a despised Samaritan, the most unlikely person this Jewish man would ever think of, to bring healing into his life. Last thought, as we're thinking about what prevents us from loving our neighbor, when prejudice prevents us. If you said to me, Michael, you have prejudice towards other people in your life, I'd be quick to defend myself and say, no, I haven't. But whether you like it or not, we all have our bias. We all have prejudice in our lives. Now, I wanted you to look at these pictures as we come to a close this morning, and I just want you to give me your first impression, all right? So don't try and overthink this. But what is your first impression of this person? Okay, you captured that. This guy was a mechanic in a garage for 25 years. He was then a a part-time janitor in a school for 17 years. Everyone thought that he was a bit of a loser. But when he died, he gave $1.2 million, and that's American dollars, to Brooks Memorial Library and $1.8 million to a hospital. An amazing man. He lived frugally. And he invested wisely. What about this man? First impressions. Who do you think he is? Looks a pretty respectful looking dude, doesn't he? Yeah? You like him? This was the guy, Bernie Madoff, who the largest Ponzi scheme in history. $64.8 billion American dollars. See, friends, first impressions can be deceptive. We can all be fooled by prejudice. I try now not to be governed just by first impressions, but to go on a journey with people. Every person is created in God's image with worth and value, so we need to see people that way. We may not be able to help every person, but there's a person somewhere who can help them, and it might be you. So who is my neighbor? Just to recap. We must help people even when they're victims of their own circumstances. Every person, regardless of their gender, race, or social or economic background, people who need our compassion more than our sympathy. And what keeps us from loving our neighbour? When beliefs triumph over our compassion, when security becomes more important than our service, and when prejudice prevents us.